Hey, Sandals Church, what is going on? My name is Jeff and I am your online pastor. And today I have a surprise for you. I am super excited for the surprise because today I have a co-host <laughs> joining me. Come on, because this is Valentine's Day weekend. And so there really should only be one person that should join me on Valentine's Day weekend other than my daughter. And that is my bride. Let me introduce you, my wife, Nikki. Hey, Sandals, how <laughs> are you? That. So glad to be here. Ain't God good. Come Ooh, on, somebody. Well. Hey, do you, do you actually know what to say right now? Um, I'm excited that you're all here. Mm -hmm. I'm excited that I'm here. Right. Yep. Yeah, uh, happy Valentine's Day weekend. Wow. Good job, honey. Good job. Hey, if you are brand new, if you're checking us out for the very first time, we want to let you know we are so glad that you are here. In fact, we would love for you to let us know that you're here, that you're new by letting us know on the chat or actually going to sandalschurch.com slash next. And if you are here, please share this service with a friend. Hey, one of the reasons why I actually have my wife here with me hanging out because other than she makes everything just better and looks better. Come on now. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Right, right. The reason why we have her here is because we wanted to tell you that we are actually going on a date, a date night and you can too. That's right, y'all. On February the 26th, we want to invite all the couples at Sandals Church to an experience called an online date night. Online? Don't, yeah, online. Don't throw it out yet. You don't okay. even know what it's about. Okay. It's called saving date night because frankly, the last year, our date night it's tanked, right? This pandemic. Uh, we want you guys to come. We want you to learn real life lessons to upgrade your date night. Our very own Pastor Matt and his wife, Tammy, will be sharing with us their own tips when it comes to date nights and how we can still have those be successful and how they connect as a couple. Do I need tips? Uh, you know, you're pretty good, pretty okay, good, but right. we can always use a little uh, brush okay. up. Mm -hmm. 14 years, you know, four kids. Uh, it's gonna be online. It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be your own date night experience at home. Please join us. All the information that you need can be found at sandalschurch.com slash date night. Man, that is awesome. Yeah, it'll be fun. Hey, well, right now we are going to experience a time of worship and singing. Yeah, and that can look really different. These days with the pandemic, that's looked so different for our mm. family. But honestly, even sitting in my living room, standing in my living room with four kids all around me, mm -hmm. we can come to the throne, you guys, and we yeah. have the ability to worship God in song and in spirit and in truth. So we want you to join us and do that now with us. Awesome. Let's sing. Hmm. Hey everyone, from wherever you are right now, would you sing this out with us? We sing, I search the world. I search the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures of faith are never enough. Then you came along, sing this out. Then you came along and put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied here in love. Yeah. Oh, there's
Hey, the Lord is great and deserves our praise. It is so great to sing with you all. It's great to sing with you, honey. You have an amazing voice. Wow, thanks. Like an angel. That's right. It's not true, but I'll take it. We want to remind our local Southern California families with kids that in two weeks on February 27th and 28th, we are reopening our Sandals Church kids classes at all of our campuses. This is super exciting. And for those of us online, we have an incredible kids service experience too at kids.sandalschurch.tv. Yeah, and it's so meaningful. We've been utilizing this yeah. for the past year doing online church at home and we love it. If you have older kids and youth, maybe they go and they do this while you do adult church. For us, it's looked a little different. We do yeah. our service and then we actually join our kids to do uh, Sandals Kids. It has been so powerful and impactful to discuss these stories and to watch our kids grow in their love for Jesus and to be able to do that as a family. So we totally encourage you guys to use those. They are amazing. Yeah. Hey, and we are in 2021. And so that means that we are in a series, Win in Rome. And this has been an amazing opportunity for us to dive into the Word of God. In fact, if you have a phone, that means you can actually download an app. We actually have a Sandals Church app where you can download all of our content. So you can actually go through Pastor Matt's uh, notes when he's going through his sermon and his messages. Not only that, but we have a Bible reading plan. And so you can actually dive into the Word every single day. You can do that by going to sandalschurch.com slash app. And now with another Win in Rome message, here's Pastor Matt. Hey, Sandals Church, welcome today to our series, Win in Rome. Today is our last day, I promised you, in Roman 1. We'll put the controversy behind us and we will move forward. But I wanna talk to you today about a better exchange, a better way to exchange your life. You see, we're all exchanging our life for something. Like some of you are single, you're considering marriage. You're going to exchange some freedoms for relationship, intimacy, but it's an exchange. Some of us exchange our time for monetary blessings, right? The more money you wanna make, the more you gotta work. And we have to wrestle with whether or not that's, not a, good, whether or not that's, a, that's a good exchange. We're constantly exchanging things uh, in our life, in our society, uh, you know, many of us. And, we, and here's, a, here's the problem is we always think we come out on top with what we've exchanged something for. Uh, over COVID, uh, Tammy and I, we watched every single episode of The Office. And, and this is not, I'm not recommending The Office. There are things that are hilarious about it. And there are things that are just straight up, you know, demented, wrong, and sinful. So I apologize to your pastor. But we watched it. And one of my favorite episodes is where there's a character, Dwight, who, who just always believes he's getting the better end of the deal. And he almost always ends up at the bad end of the deal. But they have kind of like this, this fair. And he decides, I'm going to trade up and I'm going to exchange. And he's exchanging all day for the smallest item to the largest item and the show ends with him exchanging this telescope. Man, he's so happy. He's got this huge prize. He won. And on the table, there's some magic beans. And he ends up trading the very best for the very worst. And he's the fool in the episode. And this happens time and time again. He thinks he's wise, but he's actually the most foolish person on the show. 
And unfortunately, well, that's funny to watch. It's a terrible way to live. And some of you, you have made a horrendous exchange. You have exchanged the glory of the one true God for the God that you've made up in your own mind and in your own head. And in Romans chapter one, we see this word and, and maybe take some time and reread re, these words this week and just circle every time you hear the word exchange. Exchange. They exchanged. They exchanged. And that's what I wanna talk about today. What are you exchanging your relationship with the one true God for? And a lot of us say, well, nothing. But the truth is we don't have to ask if we're exchanging a relationship with the one true God for something else. We have to ask where. Where am I exchanging this? Because we all do. And we're gonna talk about this. And then we're gonna talk about some controversial issues. And then I'm gonna talk about uh, something special I'm gonna do this week to bring some clarity for some extraordinarily controversial uh, words and issues in this text. So Romans 1, and 27, claiming to be wise. I just want you to think about that because here, here's what we have today. We have a thing called, I call chronological arrogance. We think we're smarter than everybody else. We think we're, we're better than everybody else. Everybody in the past is ancient, dumb, backwards, you know, uneducated. And here's what I want you to know. I, I hope this, this reaches your heart prophetically. I think our world is technologically advancing. There's very, very few of us that are extraordinarily advanced in many ways. And those smart people are advancing our culture technologically. I think intellectually we're getting dumber. I think intellectually we're going backwards. In the UK today, they have to have a class to teach young men how to boil an egg. I kid you not, that's a class. I mean, nobody knows how to do very basic things. And some of you ladies are like, I think I'm dating that guy. Well, maybe you should stop exchanging, right, or claiming to be wise, they became fools. They became fools. You see, the Roman Empire got together. They had technological advancements. They could reach their power like no nation had ever done. They built roads and highways and aqueducts. They could move water from one place to another. They had their own poets, their own language, their own understanding. They built upon the foundation of the Greeks, who built upon the foundation of the Persians, who built upon the foundation of the Egyptians. And they just thought they were all that in a bag of chips, right? Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Some of you think you know, and you don't. You know the people who are the dumbest, the ones that tell you they're the smartest. One of the things I try to do as a person who has this problem with my mouth that always moves, is I try very, very hard to make sure that the words that come out of my mouth are wiser and more profound than the silence they replace. Because I just talk, I just talk. So claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. We exchange the glory of the one true God who is. It's why the Jews don't have an image of him. You don't create a picture because no matter how beautiful your picture is, it falls short of the glory of God. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. We can worship all kinds of things except the one true God. And therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts and to their impurity and to the dishonoring of their bodies because when you don't know who God really is, you don't know who you really are. They gave themselves up to the impurity of their hearts and the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And because of this, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So here's another exchange, the truth of God for a lie, and we're gonna talk about this. 
and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged, there's that word again, exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up their natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, committing shameless acts with men and receiving with themselves the due penalty for their error. Let me ask you today, where have you exchanged your right as a human being, human being created in the image of God for the one true God? You see, this is why we do this. Why do we exchange a false God for the real God? Why do we leave what is true for what is false? And here's why. We exchange the God who is for the God that we want. One of the things that I've done as your pastor over the years is I've studied the history and origin of all religions. Did you know that all religions on earth, no matter whether you're in India, China, Africa, South or Indochina, no matter where, all religions move from a monotheistic faith that's believing in one God to many gods. It moves from a belief of one God to many gods. And here's why. When you pray to the one true God, you wanna make sure that, you know, well, we, 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 need, we need rain, so we're gonna pray to the rain God. Well, we need crops, so we're gonna pray to the God of the land, right? I, I want safety as I go out into the ocean, so I'm gonna pray to the God of the sea. And this is one of the things that the Israelites, the Jewish people have to learn in the scriptures. God is not just the God of the land. That's why Jonah gets in a ship and runs away. He's just the God of the land. Oh, he finds out. God is also the God of the sea and he ubers a fish to swallow him. You can't run from God. That's why David says, no matter where I go, you are there. You are not just the God of the earth. David says, even if I go to the depths of Sheol, you're there as well. My spirit cannot outrun you. God is everywhere because he's the one true God. And here's the problem. We don't want the God who is. We want the God that we want. And let me tell you something. You guys need to know this. God is who he is, and that's the God you need. When Moses encounters the one true God, he's running from his life, right? He, he tried to do something right. And many young people today are passionate about social justice, which is a great thing. Moses tried to do something about justice, right? He saw somebody being treated as a slave and it bothered him. And here's the thing, man, without God, what did he do? He killed a guy, then he had to bury a guy, then he had to run, and now he's in the desert. And many of you young people today, you're marching in the name of justice without the God of justice. And here's what I'm afraid of in our culture. Many of you that are marching in the name of justice will be maybe just as bad or worse than the people you replaced. You see, that's what happens without God. Well, I want the God of justice and I determine what that is. We gotta be very, very careful. Yes, God cares about justice. Yes, God cares about people who are in minorities. Yes, God cares about the unseen. All of those things matter. We gotta be very, very careful. And so Moses is running, running away from his life. He's a criminal, he's at large. And he meets the one true God. Here's the interesting thing. God says you gotta go back to the culture, the town, the city, your people that you left. You gotta go back. And Moses is like, you got the wrong guy. I can't even talk. And God's like, no, no, I'm gonna be with you. And Moses tries again, well, okay, well, just in case they ask, who shall I say sent me? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. 
It's just me. I'm the one true God. C.S. Lewis says this, the most dangerous prayer a person can ever pray is not to who they think they, not to who you think God is, but to pray this, to who God knows himself to be. That's the most dangerous prayer. Releasing my understanding, releasing my upbringing and saying, God, the one who is, whoever you are, whatever I've got wrong, God, I pray to you, the one who is, that's who God says that I am. He says, I am. He's the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He was before the beginning. He is the eternal one. He is the one who existed, the one that was before all. He said, say this to the people of Israel. Listen to this. I am has sent you. I am. And some of us, wow, that's incredible. I run around people all the time that say Jesus Christ never claimed to be God. Well, show me, show me the verse. Show me the verse where Jesus says he's God. Here you go. John 8, and it's a brutal chapter. It starts off with a wonderful story where Jesus saves a woman who's caught in the act of adultery. And he says, and many of you know it, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then it just goes down from there. It just gets really ugly and really dark because the more truth Jesus reveals, the more obstacles and hatred he faces. You see, truth is not something that we pursue as human beings naturally. It's something we try to hide from and suppress. It's in our nature. They said, tell us who you are. Tell us who you are. And he says, I want you to know, before Abraham, somebody who lived thousands of years before Jesus, he says, before Abraham, I tell you the truth. Here's the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. What's he saying? He's saying, you wanna know who talked to Moses in the burning bush? It was me. It was me. And at that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. Do you know why? Because Jesus was not the God they wanted. Do you know what the God they wanted? They wanted Jesus to be political, and some of you do too, as long as he's conservative and votes for Trump, or unless he's liberal and votes Trump out. You see, you want Jesus to be political as long as he agrees with you. You're all about the marginalized, until Jesus calls you out on your sin and challenges you. I, people say, I hear people say this all the time. Well, I just believe in Jesus. I don't want Paul. I don't need any of that. I hear people say this all the time. I just want the red letters. No, you haven't even read those letters because those letters convict not just you, not just me. They convict everyone. We want Jesus to be political until he politically challenges us. We want Jesus to be moral until he morally challenges us. We want Jesus to be all about love, right? Oh, he's all about love. He talks a lot about judgment. A lot about judgment. And he warns us. He's trying to prepare us for a day we will just stand before him. The God who was, the God who is, and the God to come. The one who spoke to Moses in the midst of the burning bush and you will stand before Jesus. You'll stand before him, and you'll give him a holy, holy account of your life. It's not called the day of love. 
It's called the day of judgment. Now here's the good news as Christians. If we've confessed our sins and placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he promises we'll be forgiven, we'll make it. The Apostle Paul, and I know a lot of you don't like him, says that day we're gonna be saved as though through fire. Theologians have been arguing about that verse for about 1,100 years. What on earth does that mean? We don't know, but Paul says this. It's gonna sting, but you're gonna get through it because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Think about that. You see, we don't like Jesus. And if you think you like everything about Jesus, you probably haven't read every word of Jesus. I meet people all the time. Oh, I've read the Bible, every word. I said, great, well, tell me a couple. Tell me a couple. Do you know that most people are lying right to your face when they say that? They're lying, right? They haven't read that. They don't know that. Man, I read the Bible every single day and I am shocked and surprised by Jesus. I've been following him for over 30 years. I've been studying him for 25 and he blows my mind every day. Wow, I missed that. How did I miss that? It's not that he didn't say it, it's that I didn't see it. You see, Jesus recognizes, people have a hard time with him. And Jesus said in Matthew eleven sixteen 16 through 17, he said, well, what shall I compare this generation to? What shall I compare? It's like children, he says. He says, this generation is like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to their playmates. He says, they're like kids playing around. And he says, we played the flute for you, but you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, no matter what I say, you find a way to be disappointed. You find a way to be offended. It's why Jesus says, blessed is the one who is not offended on the count of me. Why would he say that? Because people were extraordinarily offended at what he said. Offended. As I've preached these last couple of messages, and let me just say, I am not Jesus. I make mistakes and I'm a sinner, and, and, and I will fully readily admit that I do not communicate my thoughts or God thoughts in a perfect way. But I've had people send me open letters demanding I go to their house, some of them in different states, and personally apologize for me preaching my understanding of the word of God. During COVID, I gotta come to you and apologize to you. Wow, we are so easily offended at anything that we've never heard. Well, I've never heard that. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that you're right. You see, all of us exchange the God who is for the God we want. It's why people walk away from the faith. You ask God for something, you didn't get it, so you go to another God. And it may not be God at all, right? You say, well, I don't believe in God anymore. I'm an agnostic. Well, I'm, I just don't know who he is anymore because he didn't give me what I want. I don't believe in any God anymore because he, because he let my mom die or, or he let this person die. Like, like because of everything that happens to everyone in the world for all of human history, because it happened to me, now God's not real. When Jesus told you suffering was coming, Jesus told you life was brief, Jesus told you you would die. And it's not that he doesn't care. Some of the miracles where he stops what he's doing, it's to help a widow who lost her only son. It's to help a parent who lost their only child. Jesus cares about you. 
When his best friend Lazarus dies, Jesus cries. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. He wept. He cares about you. Just because you don't get your way doesn't mean he doesn't care. But that's what happens, and that's why people run from religion to religion and church to church, and I believe in God. I don't believe in God. One of the things that surprised me the most when I went to Bethlehem, when I went to Bethlehem, to the, to, to the church of the nativity, the place where people believe Jesus was born, one of the things that shocked me was all of the Muslim women that were in line. It blew me away. Wait, wait, you're not Christian. Why, why do you care about where Jesus was born? Why are you here? And one of the Muslim ladies told me. She said, well, Mary didn't even have sex and she got pregnant. We're hoping some of that will rub off on us. They're there hoping they can get what they want because they're dissatisfied with their current religion and the fact that they're not pregnant. Right? Our desires, our desires drive us. And we get angry at God because you didn't give me what I wanted. Some of you, you've come to church and you've got hurt and you've got wounded and therefore God is not real. Listen to me, religious and secular people killed Jesus. They both did. They both did. And some of you who've written off God because you love to point out every single war that's ever been committed in the act of Jesus and you ignore every single one that's not been committed in the act of Jesus. Hitler was an atheist, rejected God. He was an evolutionist, a scientist. And they believed that they had out-evolved the other species on earth. And so many of you, you're just convinced that racism comes from the scriptures. It, a lot of it came from our own insecurities and science. Racist people interpreting the data and saying these people who are not as technologically advanced as us are less. When the Bible says, no, 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 he created us all in his own image and his likeness. Jesus Christ confirmed. Genesis confirms the value of every ethnicity long before we woke up to that. The Bible's always ahead of us. Some of you have been hurt by someone who claimed to know God. Some of you have been disappointed in God. Some of you, you just don't like what the Bible says. So we exchange the God who is for the God we want and sometimes, right, that's another religion. Sometimes it's no religion. Sometimes you make yourself God. How much pressure must that be? I don't know that I've ever met an honest atheist, but if that is you, I don't know how you function every day just thinking we're a random accident on a spinning rock. That's, that's a lot to comprehend. The Bible says you're not an accident. The Bible says you're not on a rock. You're in a place specifically designed by you, by a father in heaven who loves you. And yeah, things are pretty ugly here. And the Bible tells us why. And the Bible tells us how God's gonna fix it. It's one of the many reasons why I'm a Christian. Number two, not only do we exchange the God who is for the God we want, but we exchange the truth of God's word for the word of someone else. This is one of the things that breaks my heart. We have young people in our church that grow up, they give their life to Jesus, they love our church, they go off to college and some professor in some cases who's barely a half a generation older than them attacks and dismantles the Bible and they lose their faith. And here's what happened. You quit believing God's word and you trusted someone else's word. Isn't it interesting that the reason that we have 
seminaries, and the reason that we have colleges is because people looked at the Bible and they said, God's a God of order and God made this and we can understand this order and learn. You know what science should do to the Bible and to God? Just say thank you because you wouldn't exist without it. You wouldn't exist, but claiming to be wise, you became a fool. You outsmarted yourself. I just read an astrophysicist from MIT this week, one of the leading astrophysicists. He said he thinks creation is all a computer program. He said he's 50-50. But you make fun of what I believe. An astrophysicist, MIT, it's all just made up. It's, none of it's real. Oh, it's very real. Both this life and the next life is very real. I mean, it's sad in our culture that we don't criticize other institutions like we do the church and the scriptures. It's like we, we, we saved up all of our anger and all of our rage for one thing. Why might that be? Because scriptures is the one thing that convicts us and challenges us. So we exchange the truth of God's word for someone else's word. Last week we talked about Eve listening to the serpent. Is that what God really said? When we listen to the judgment of Adam, God says, you listen to the voice of a woman and not to me. So that's God's judgment on Adam. Eve's judgment is that she listened to the snake. We listen to the slimy, tricky, deceiving things who point out the tree is tasty and we desire it and it looks so good and there's nothing wrong with it. And the reason, the reason Christians don't want you to do these things that are trying to control you. Let me just, can I just say this? There's never been a time in history when Christianity is less in control than right now. We're not in control of media. We're not in control of politics. We don't control big tech. We control nothing, but it's all a mess. But somehow it's still our fault. Still our fault. Here's the problem. The problem is you were made to be a believer. You chose not to believe God and you've believed someone else. And let me tell you this. I don't care how smart the person is ahead of you. They're barely ahead of you. God is always and will always be ahead of you. Romans 1, 26 and 27. And can I just say this? There, there are some things in the Bible that are challenging. There are some things in the Bible that are difficult. It's an ancient text, some of it 2,000 years old, some of it 3,000 years old. These are difficult things that we have to navigate, that we have to work through, that we have to try to understand. But some of you, you I, I literally, I got this question 10 times. Hey, I saw something on TikTok. I'm your pastor. I study Greek and Hebrew every day, 25 years. You saw something on TikTok. Oh, pastor Matt might be wrong. I'm competing with TikTok now. It's just the newest talking snake. That's all it is. And you're ready to walk away from your faith because somebody says in seconds that what you've learned for a lifetime is all false. And here's what they're saying. The scriptures you have have not been translated accurately. Here's what I'm gonna do this week. And I'm gonna bring this up now because this is really not the point of my message, but I'm gonna take an hour this week. I know many of you don't know Hebrew and Greek. I do, I work with it every day, every day. Every day when my wife gets up, she has to step over thousands of Hebrew words because I'm working on Hebrew right now again. Because I don't just wanna be able to read and write it, I wanna be able to speak it. 
I work with this every day. And what I'm gonna do for you is this week I'm going to break down for you the actual words in Greek, in Hebrew. You won't need a translation anymore. I'm gonna tell you what they mean and you can decide whether or not to believe me. That's your choice. I'm gonna tell you what they mean and they're very, very clear. Greek is a very, very precise language. It's why we use it for many of our medical terms. It's a precise language. It's a clear language. It's an amazing language. And so here's what Romans 1, 26 and 27 says about sexuality. And some of you have been told, well, God doesn't care about sex. Well, why did Paul say it in the first chapter? Why is it the first thing that he deals with? If it doesn't matter, put it in 16. Put it in chapter 16. Or don't put it in there at all. He put it in the first chapter. Isn't it amazing for a God who doesn't care about sex, he talks about it in the first chapter of Genesis and the first chapter of Romans. We'll talk about that in a little bit, why sex is so important. Romans 1, 26 and 27 said this, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Look, not everything you wanna do sexually is good. You know, one of the things that bothered me the most about the Super Bowl last week was Bruce Springsteen. How did he become our moral grandpa? How did he become what's good, right, and true in America? I don't care that he's driving a Jeep and staring at stacks of hay. Because when I was a kid, I remember a song that went like this. Hey, little girl, is your daddy home? Hey, little girl, is your daddy home? Are you all alone? Girl, I'm on fire. He sang about his desires for an underage girl. And now he's, he's our moral champion because he got old. And some of us, we, we, just, we, we just give people a pass. Oh, he's old now. Yeah, but his song was gross. It was gross. And let me tell you something. Wow, well, he's speaking figuratively. Words matter. And they matter not only in a song written by a rock star, they matter in the word of God written by himself. They matter. And God uses very specific words that are very clear. And they're not hard to understand. We just don't like what they say. For this reason, God gave them up for their dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged, there's that word again, they exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And what he means by nature is the way God designed you. That's all he means. And men likewise gave up their natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. You see, when you lose your connection and passion and desire for God, you will fill it with something else. For many of us, it's sex. Some of it's his career. Some of us, is all kinds of things. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But I want you to know as your pastor, one of the things that I think is wrong with America is we don't listen to the other side. Some of you only watch Fox News. You don't even know what channel CNN is on your TV. Some of you only watch MSNBC and you never watch Fox News. Let me tell you something as your pastor, I do. I don't just read people who agree with me. I intentionally read people who don't. Why? Because one day I'm gonna stand before God and I'm gonna be held accountable for what I taught you. Do you understand that? The Bible says this, the half-brother of Jesus, James says, not all of you should become teachers for you will receive a stricter judgment. Stricter judgment. 
God is going to be more strict with me on the day that I stand before him than you because people will listen to what I say and make determinations about eternity forever. And that keeps me up at night. And I'm human, I'm flawed, I can make mistakes, I can miss things. I have my own biases, I'm a human being, I'm sinful. I wanna make sure that I'm right. And so this week I went to a website. Hundreds and thousands of churches in the United States are moving from the traditional view that we've held for 2,000 years that sex is to be reserved for one man and one woman and they're becoming open and affirming, affirming and completely embracing the LGBTQ movement saying not only is there nothing wrong with this, but they should, they should have full inclusion as they are. And I read this website and a lot of it was great. Love your neighbor, care for your neighbor. Man, those are good things. Those are good things. I, I don't want any LGBTQ person to live in fear, to be isolated or picked on or hurt or maimed because of how they see themselves. I want you to live in freedom. I want you to live in freedom. But I wanna read what I found on this website, because what they did is they quoted a scholar and they said, here's what this scholar who agrees with us, this scholar thinks that churches should change their view on the issue of homosexual sex. He agrees with us. So many of you are one-click Christians. So I clicked and this is what I do. I don't read what the media says is said. I look for the exact article and I read it all so that I can communicate the truth. So I went to his page and to be fair, here's what he says. He says that he thinks the church should open their doors to the LGBTQ community and not require any kind of repentance or change. That's what he says. And he talks about why, he talks about his struggle, but then there's a little paragraph and I want you to listen to me. There's a little paragraph that he puts in his post about what the Bible actually says. Here's what it says. It says, one of the greatest struggles that I've had as a New Testament professor is the prohibitions against same-sex relationships in the Bible. Listen to this. This is a biblical scholar who says it's okay to be LGBTQ and you should just come into the church as you are, never repent, never change. Here's his words. He says, I still think that the Bible speaks out with one voice against same-sex intercourse across both Testaments in a general sort of way. Listen to me, many of you have heard, you've heard a lot of things about what the Bible says. This is a scholar that says LGBTQ is fine. Here's what he says. Romans 1 isn't talking about temple prostitution, pediatry, or slave sex in particular. His reasons for full inclusion have nothing to do with what the Bible says. It has to do with how he feels towards his friends who are LGBTQ. Look, if you're LGBTQ and you go to our church, I love you. But my job is not to embrace you in whatever lifestyle or whatever uh, way you choose to act sexually. My job is to embrace what God's word says. And what God's word said in the Old Testament and the New Testament is very, very clear. Sex is something that is sacred and is to be reserved in the context of marriage between a husband and a wife. That's what it says. 
And so what people do, I read a book this week. It says, Jesus I love, Paul I'm not so sure about. We love to disparage Paul. We love to put Paul down. Paul the homophobic, Paul the misogynist, Paul all these things, right? Everybody browbeats Paul because Paul speaks to some things that Jesus was silent on. Let me ask you, why did Paul need to speak to those things? Because they weren't in the Gospels. It doesn't mean they weren't the opinions of Jesus. It means he believed they were the opinions of Jesus and they needed to be spoken to for clarity. That's what it means. And you have to understand, Jesus never left Israel. He never left the confines of his Jewish culture. He's predominantly speaking to Jews who think like him, who act like them. And he challenges them on where they're wrong. He barely interacts with Gentiles, almost not at all. And as soon as the gospel goes out of Jerusalem and engages in, in Gentile cities like Corinth, in Gentile cities like Ephesus, in Gentile cities like Romans, we need clarification. What does it mean to be a Gentile and a follower of Jesus? And people say, well, these aren't the words of Jesus. These aren't the red letters. I want you to listen to something the apostle Peter says. So who's Peter? Peter is handpicked by Jesus. He's selected to be an apostle. He becomes the lead apostle and he's the first person to preach about the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the book of Acts, which by the way, the book of Acts is written by Luke under the authority of Paul. Here's what Peter says in his own letter. He says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. The apostle Peter is speaking about the letters that the apostle Paul writes. He said, our beloved brother Paul. Paul was loved, Paul was esteemed. Why? Because God anointed him with an amount of wisdom that you and I will never have. God created him brilliant and anointed him with the Holy Spirit. And he wrote most of our New Testament. Listen to what Peter says. He's not jealous, he's not envious. He's not like, hey guys, God put me in charge. Jesus said, I have the keys to the kingdom. Listen to what he says about Paul. He says, our beloved brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them on these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. You wanna know why that is? Paul's just smarter than the rest of us. He's like, I'm a fisherman. I work with my hands. I'm doing the best I can to follow Jesus and talk to you about these things. The apostle Paul's brilliant. He's brilliant. And God's chosen him to teach us how to live. He says, there are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. It's interesting here. He compares what Paul writes to scripture. Do you wanna know why the church historically has understood the words of Paul to be the same, on the same level as the words of Jesus? Because the early church believed that Paul met Jesus he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus and Jesus handpicked him to tell Gentiles how to live for Jesus. That's you, that's me, unless you're Jewish. He says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away by what's on TikTok, that you're not carried away by what's on Twitter, that you're not carried away by what some professor who hates Jesus and Christianity says, or by some person who's been wounded by the church. And I don't, I don't wanna ignore that. 
but they have a wound, something happened to them, and so now they hate God and all of his things. Take care that you are not carried away by the air of lawlessness. You see, some of you guys as Christians, you say, you, say, you say things that sound good, but they're really awful. Like Christianity's not about rules, it's about relationship. Well, I'm in a relationship with my wife, we're gonna celebrate 25 years this year, and there's some rules. We have some rules that are pre-agreed upon to be in relationship with each other. Let me tell you something, if you wanna be in a real relationship with God, there's some pre-agreed upon rules. And here's the thing, Tammy and I are equals, we agree upon them together. God and I are not equals. He writes the rules, I agree or I don't. Take care that you are not carried away by the air of your lawlessness, the lawlessness of people, and lose your own stability. Can I just say this? Many of you are shaky because you've never actually studied what you say you believe. You know, do, do you know why I, I'm not freaked out by somebody saying the translation is wrong? Because I know the translations have gotten better over time. We've gotten better at it. It's why we don't use the King James in our Bible. Some of you grew up, got yeah, King James only. King James had, had very, very few manuscripts and they were only a couple years, 100 years old. We have 27,000 manuscripts and some of them go all the way back to the first century. We've gotten better. Look, the Bible directs how we as Christians are to engage in sex. Some of these commands will be easy. Some will be difficult. Some may force you to die to a very, very deep part of who you believe you are. But this is what Jesus invites to. He invites us to this. Number three, we exchange our God-given identity for something or someone else. Genesis 1.27 says this, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I want you to notice here that God doesn't mention the color of their skin or their ethnicity. Isn't that interesting? That's not in the text. God created us. And the thing that is the most distinguishing about us isn't the color of our skin, it's our gender. It's our gender. And God wants us to know that gender is something that he came up with. Why on earth do you think we've gone from two genders to a number that keeps growing past 100? Depending on what source you cite. Because the recognition of two genders feels way too hard like a recognition of God and his creative order. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds and animals and creeping things. Listen to me, we all identify ourselves in relation to others. Do you know why that is? Because you were created to identify yourself in relation to God. So when I say my ethnicity, what I'm saying is these are the people that look like me right? So I see them, I see me, I look like them, they see me, right? I'm a part of this group. So I identify myself not as a lone person, but as a person in relationship to someone else. Even our controversy, you know, with racism in our country, right? Like black and white. I mean, almost none of us are from the same country, but we identify as I'm this, I'm that, and we create these divisions based upon what group we think we look like which is hilarious because when you go to Europe, you know, Ukrainians are not French, French aren't Germans, okay? Norwegians, you know, aren't the English, the English aren't Irish, and the Welsh are mad because nobody remembers them, right? 
my, ethnic, my ethnicity, I identify with these people. So I, I see myself in relation to others, right? Color of my skin, maybe my accent, maybe my, my religion. This is my God, these are my people. I belong to this group. How about this one, my sexuality? This is who I'm attracted to. You see, you were made to identify yourself, not by yourself. That, that's one of the biggest lies. I self-identify as something you see somewhere else. Something you see somewhere else. You don't self-identify. You see someone else or something else and you identify that. Why? Because God created you in his own image and likeness. And God tells us that so that we look to him, so that we know who he is and we know who we are. And when we reject God and we lose sight of God, we reject our true identity and we lose our self-identity. We lose it. Some of you, you just, you, like you've been lied to. Well, sex is just sex. No, it's not. No, it's not. And, and, and there are many reasons, not just biblical reasons that I believe this. You see, the Bible says that sex is, is this dynamic thing. And listen to me, men, you are sacred, created in the image of God. You are sacred. Masculinity is a sacred thing. Yes, it can be profoundly broken. Yes, it can become toxic. Yes, it can become evil, but it's a profoundly sacred thing to be a man. Oh, and ladies, the word of God says right there in the first chapter that it's a profoundly sacred thing to be a woman. And you do not find your identity in relation to a man. You find your identity in relation to a God who says your feminism is a reflection of him. A reflection of him and who he is. Your identity. And when a man and a woman come together in Genesis chapter one, a sacred man, a sacred woman, they come together in a sacred moment where the two shall become, listen to this, achad, one, Every morning, a Jewish person begins up and they say these words. They pray to the Lord their God, who is Chad, one. You see, sex for the Christian, sex for the Orthodox Jew, it's an act of worship, acknowledging our Creator who's made us different. And yet we can come together in sexual intimacy. Have you ever held a baby? Oh God, I love their smell. I mean, not when they pooped, but you know, when they're clean, they just had a, like, I, you just, like, I mean, you like want to eat them. Like, they're just so cute. And it's not just because they're cute. It's because every normal, healthy person knows that there's something sacred that's just happened. Something sacred. Wow. What is this person going to do? Mary, as she held the baby Jesus in her arms, she pondered all the things that were said about him. What's this child going to do? What's this child going to be? A mess if they do not know themselves in relationship to God, a mess. And we have all these kids that have to make choices about education, right? They're competing with the world and now they have to figure out their own gender, their own identity. And now they see themselves in relationship to who they are sexually rather than seeing themselves in relationship to who they are with God spiritually. And they're lost. 
but we've gotten so far from God, right? Babies aren't sacred anymore, they're fetuses. Some of you, oh, you love it when I preach on, you know, social justice issues, but I talk about abortion, you're like, I'm out, I'm out. I'm out. I want you to know, what's the point of religion or faith if it never challenges you, if it never confronts you? What's the point of believing in God if you don't have to change? Why did Jesus die? So you could live the same? I believe that Jesus died so you could be born again. Jesus offers a better exchange. It's just better. Some of you exchange the truth of God for a lie. I wish some of you are listening and right now, I know you're taking notes and you're writing a blog and you're gonna post how, I mean, I got called words this week. I had to look up. I didn't even know what it meant. Some of you, you're, 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 you're so willing to be critical of what scripture says. Could you just apologize? Could you just, excuse me, apply that to what everybody else is saying? Take your same level of criticism. Take your same level of, of skepticism that you have for religion, you have for Jesus, you have for Sandals Church. Shoot, you have for me. And use that same standard on the people that you've trusted and believed. And here's what I think you'll find. As someone who wanted to be a social justice warrior in the early 90s, my degree is in political science. I was gonna change the world through politics. And then I met Jesus. I was a mess with drugs, I was a mess with sex. I was a disaster. And Jesus said, there's a better exchange. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Have we ever lived in a time where people are more depressed, more anxious, more unsure, more afraid than at any time in history? Come to me, all who are laboring and heavy burden, and he says, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. It's not all about freedom. I don't care what you've been told. There's some work ahead but it's doable, it's manageable. And do you know why it is? Because God made you to carry it. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. He says, for I am gentle and lowly at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The burden the world offers is heavy and you cannot carry it. And some of you have exchanged the spirit of this age that Paul identifies in Ephesians 2, the spirit of this age, my body, I can do what I want, my sexuality, I do not derive meaning from God, I derive it from myself and how I relate to others. God wants you to derive your meaning from him. It is work, it is challenging, but it's doable with Jesus. He says, come on, come on whether you're gay or straight, married or single, young or old, Jesus says, come on. Come on. This week as I was prepping my message, an old song came to my mind. Some of you are so anxious because you look to TV, you look to the news, you look to politics, you look to your friends, and it isn't working. And the old song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Jesus. 
look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I just want to invite you, no matter where you are, would you just turn your eyes upon Jesus? Look to him. In him is your identity. In him is your call and how to live out your sexuality. In him is your giftedness. In him is your uniqueness. In him is your value. And you know what's so different about Jesus? You don't have to earn it. You just have to receive it. It's already yours, if you ask. And we got all these kids today, lost and broken and hurting. What if they knew about Jesus? What if they could turn to him? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you feel like you need to turn to him, even if you're watching at home, you're watching online, would you just lift your hand? If you're at one of our campuses, lift your hand. This is just between you and God. And say, God, I, I turn. My identity's not in my career. My identity's not in my family. My identity's not in my sexuality. God, my identity comes from you. Right now, God, I turn from this world to you. I pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You know, as I was listening to Pastor Matt's message, I, I was reminded how important it is for me to know what the Word of God says and my identity in Him and how important it is to dive deeper into the message every week. I know that as soon as I hear it, the world, our culture, and even my normal life is going to do its best to make sure that I don't remember it or live it out. Mm. You know, that's why Pastor Matt wants to go deeper with you and give you real answers to some of your tough questions on the Debrief Podcast, which happens this week. So you can tune in wherever you get your podcasts or you can go to debrief.show to listen and send in your questions. Yes. You know, one area I know I need help living out the word of God is actually in my marriage. Mm, my, my, my wife and I have had some tough times in our marriage. And I know you think being married to me would just be all bliss. Oh. <laughs> well, there's actually been times when it's been more like a hot mess. And, and in our time at Sinos Church, we have been so blessed mm. by the marriage content classes and events like saving date night that we offer. Yes, there have been thousands of couples, you guys, who have found hope, mm. community, reconciliation, and even Jesus yeah. through our marriage ministry. In fact, here's what a couple of them wrote about our marriage classes. We wanna mm. share it with you, real life testimonies. We had one wife who said, this class was the last hope for our marriage. Wow. Wow. With God's grace and love and this class, I have learned to forgive and to love my husband and to look forward to a new beginning and a future for us. Wow, That's powerful. That is awesome. Yeah. You know, we actually had one husband say this, uh, I really enjoyed being able to connect with my wife mm. and for the first time connecting with the church. Mm. I feel like my life is forever changed for the better. Wow, so awesome. Yeah. Uh, we had another wife who told us this class has saved my marriage mm. and allowed me to see that we all have flaws, but with the love of God, it has allowed me to forgive and to try again. Man, that forgiveness, what a key to have. Yeah, it's awesome. so awesome. You know, marriages have literally 
been saved, restored, mm. and strengthened Amen. because of your partnership in giving to Sandals Church. For those of you who have financially come alongside us as we have come alongside couples, mm -hmm. thank you. Mm. If you would like to give and support marriages and other ministries, you can do that right now by going to give.sc or on the Sandals Church app. Let's make marriages that are connected to Sandals Church the strongest. Yes. And as we end our time in worship today, I pray that you would reflect and see where is your identity lined up. Let's sing and worship together.
Man, the Lord reigns above it all. As you go, remember to tune into the Debrief Podcast this week, and we hope that you will join us for our Saving Date Night event online February the 26th. Uh, today was great. I, I, I mean, I don't know why. Maybe it's because of you. Oh, I think, well, I mean, I'll take the compliment again. Honey, you just make everything great, whatever oh, you do. Oh, you're so kind. I'm just Good saying, that, that, that's who you are. Valentine's Day. Yes. In fact, maybe maybe I'll have you back. Oh, maybe I'll come back. But yeah, you know what? Yeah, what? We should do it with the kids. I, I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's a, hey guys, hey guys well, look at this. Say look happy Valentine's <laughs> Hey guys, take care, happy Valentine's Day, and we will see you next weekend. Bye Sandals. Bye Sandals. Bye. Bye, Sandals. <laughs>